Blog Talk Radio. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and thanks so much for joining me for Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a very, 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 very common problem, when a toddler does not imitate words consistently and frequently. And let me just say, it's a common problem for late talkers. I don't want any parent to listen to this show and have already pushed stop (laughs) because they think, oh, this is common. Every kid does this, and it's not a big deal. Not really true. (laughs) Toddlers who talk on time do imitate words consistently and frequently, and that's how they move on to talk and move on to use those words spontaneously or on their own. So don't let me, don't let my leaving out a common and consistent word for late talkers, that little phrase for late talkers, misguide you at all. Because again, that's the reason most toddlers aren't talking. It's that they have not they have not mastered how to imitate words. Now, some late talkers are missing other skills too, and I don't want to mislead you or misguide you in this way either. It's not all about imitating because actually, there are oh gosh, eight or nine other really important prelinguistic skills that come in even before imitation starts to take hold, or they're all coming in at the same time. But my point is, every kid who is not talking yet is also not imitating yet and so it's a super super skill to look at even in isolation and this is especially true when we're looking at toddlers who are on track developmentally in every developmental area and even in other areas of communication skill development they're just not talking yet so when children have a straight expressive language delay Imitation is the place that we start to look at. Can they imitate? How well can they imitate? And, you know, because this is a common problem in late talkers, let me just say the solution is always the same or the big solution, the big kind of overall strategy, but it's a little bit counterintuitive because of the nuanced places that you have to start with teaching imitation. And let me explain that because if you're a new listener to the show, you are not used to how I talk. saying something kind of broad and then breaking it down. And so let's talk about that. Uh, When I'm saying the solution is always the same with these kinds of kids who aren't imitating words, this big solution here is that we have to back up. We cannot start with teaching a child how to imitate words because the truth is most late-talking toddlers are not developmentally ready to imitate words. Now, let me say that again in case you missed it because it's so important. Most late-talking toddlers are not ready to imitate words because if they were ready, what would be happening? They would be imitating words. So if they're not imitating words, you know something is missing. Somehow, some way, they are not quite ready yet. And so the solution for all of those kids is you back up. You back up, you get them ready, you go, but you go to the point not where, again, this, this is what's logical to parents. You think, imitating words, I'm going to teach them how to imitate words. And again, if you're a parent listening to the show or if you're a therapist, goodness knows we all try that. <laughs> you know that a child is not imitating words. You know that he's not talking. He's not imitating words yet. So you work on that. You get right in his little face and you say, say cup, tell me cup. 
say cup, say cup, say cup. <laughs> and we do it with no response at all. And we, what you do, what you're doing when you do that is that you're trying to work at the word level. And my whole point about this show is they're not ready to do that or they would already be doing it. It would not take lots of effort on your part. So what do we do? What do we back up to? That's different for lots of late talkers or lots of late talkers will be at different developmental levels. And so the key is you walk them back in this continuum of where their imitation skills are and you figure out what they can currently do. And so the counterintuitive part is too that you back up to what they can already do, not what they can't do. And that that's also a little, it's a secret, I think. Even sometimes among therapists, some therapists start at the wrong place with helping late talkers but who aren't saying anything. They start, again, at that word level. When most of the time, like I've said now the third time, most late-talking toddlers who are not talking are not developmentally ready to imitate words at the word level. So you have to really back up to the point where they are ready and back up to that developmental level where they are. And so let's talk about imitation kind of in general. Now, remember, imitation is how kids learn everything. It's how all of us learn everything. Anything we learn, we do that through watching somebody else do it. Now, as we get older, we can read and other things. But think about the prevalence of YouTube. I mean, how many of you, if you can't do something, you go to your phone? And a lot of times we go straight to YouTube and we Google a video because we want to or you know, search on YouTube a video to help us see and a lot of times, you know, we could do it again by reading, but a lot of times it is by watching what somebody else is doing. We want a new recipe. We want to know how to fix something in our homes that's broken. We want to know uh, anything that we're looking for. We can find a video or find a blog post about that. And, again, we're watching that if we're watching a video. So this is how we learn everything. And so that's what children need to that, that's how children learn how to talk too. They're watching you. They're listening for what you're, you're saying. And so that imitation piece is just absolutely crucial to helping any child learn any developmental skill and especially talking. And kids don't start out, again, knowing how to imitate words. It's this continuum. First, they learn how to imitate actions. So they, as babies, they learn that you've held the bottle for them. You've put your hand on the bottle. When you fed them, you've put your hand on the spoon. So what do they do? They reach up and grab it. And so what are they doing? They're imitating your action. Kids also learn how to imitate gestures. or And, again, it comes before that with imitating things like clapping, banging your hands on the table. Or, uh, again, if we, as we move on to gestures, it's imitating things like waving bye-bye, imitating things like pointing, that, that next sort of level, imitating the body movements. So if you, um, if your child really, really likes to do housework, he's seen you, and this kind of is backing up a level, but he's he's watched you wash the the high chair tray. So he wants to wash the high chair tray too. He's watched you sweep the floor. So he wants to go get the broom too. So what does he do? He runs to your broom closet or your bedroom or the corner of your kitchen, wherever you keep your broom, and he runs to get it because that's the action he's seen you do. And, again, it bumps up. It gets a little more refined as he learns to imitate your gestures or your body movements. So he learns how to clap during patty cake. He learns how to, uh, as you've been pointing to him to show you things, 
show him things to look at or show him things that that you are getting for him, things that you think he wants, you model that pointing, he begins to imitate you as you're pointing. So that's how that emerges. And then it bumps up a little bit more to mouth movements. He learns how to, uh, and usually babies who are babbling, and usually babbling again starts before that first year, so at about, you know, cooing starts at about that third or fourth month, and then kids move to babble between that six to nine months developmental period. So they start to make sounds with their mouth, and they've learned those little mouth movements, and they've learned to pair their sounds with it. And then words don't develop until children really, those gestures are coming together until their little sound systems have developed too. So if you think about that, whole imitation continuum with children learning how to imitate words with this backup philosophy you figure out what it is that they can already do and where are they already excelling where is the developmental level that they're currently mastering and again why do we do this it's because we are supposed to meet a child where they are we meet them at their current developmental level not at the goal not what we want them to do and a lot of times I tell therapists and parents, what you're trying to do with a child, you can't get there from here. <laughs> You've got to really, really, really back up to that level where they can be successful. So let's look at what a child can already do. We already kind of walked through this hierarchy of imitation from the bottom or the foundation, starting with actions with objects. But most of the time, parents and therapists need to look at it the other way. So you start at the top. So can a child imitate words? No. So you, you bring it down a level. So can they imitate some words when it's highly familiar to them and when it's tied to a routine? That's called imitating words in context and imitating words in verbal routines. That would be like a kid who can't say go, but he, unless he hears you say ready, set, and then he can fill in go. Or a kid who can never say three unless he heard you say one, two. So, again, highly dependent on what words he hears, highly dependent on context there and what's going on. And that usually comes before kids start to imitate a lot of words, too. Or right at the time, lots of times with children, they're all the, these skills are all coming in at the same time. So if a kid can't imitate words, we're going to back down. Can he imitate some words when he knows what to expect? Is he filling in some words in songs? Is he filling in some words in books? If I read him the same book over and over and over and over, is he just looking at me to say the word or can he say the word too? And so if a parent is saying, yeah, he's filling in some words right there, fantastic you've found the developmental level that your child is functioning at. And so that's what you would do is you would not move on to words, not move on to the next level, but you're going to stay with him at that verbal routine level. You're going to teach him more verbal routines. You're going to teach him more words to say. And let's not get caught up in the strategy part or in the specifically what to do at every level yet. Let's kind of walk this on back because I think this is the piece that most parents of late talkers don't know yet. This is the piece where lots of therapists get confused too just because they've never really thought about it this way. And it's when you explain this approach to therapists, I mean, I, when I teach the steps to building verbal imitation in toddlers course, I can look around at the faces in the room and see lots of therapists who are really thinking about this for the first time. I mean, it's like the light bulb moment <laughs> across the room, which is so cool for me because I know, oh my goodness, somebody really, really, really understands this approach their practice will never, ever be the same again. And when we read the feedback forms, when the, uh, if someone has taken this course on DVD, that's what 
75 to 80% of the forms say is, I never realized this, or I knew to do this, I just wasn't applying it as consistently as I could, or thanks for the reminder that this is where I should start therapy. I've been starting in the wrong place. So again, if you're a therapist, this is where how, what you need to think about with your starting point for therapy. And again, we're really talking about just our kids who have expressive language delays, or they're developmentally really ready to work on expressive language. Now, if a kid is missing receptive language skills, meaning that he's not always following directions, he's not pointing to pictures in books when you say, "Where's the car? Where's the shoe? Show me the show me the tree." Where you know, where's the baby? If a kid can't do that, he's got a receptive language delay, and he doesn't he doesn't link meaning with words. And so you can't really start with these strategies that we're talking about yet, because see, you've got to back up there to receptive language. And so if a kid, then you think, well, I can't get him to sit down and do a book with me. <laughs> he won't even do that. Well, you've got to back up even further. You've got to get him engaged with you. So that's the social skill piece. And again, let me just say, back up is a good piece of advice for any late talking toddler but today we're really talking about kids who who do, are socially engaged and kids who do understand language and are following a lot of commands and this is just that next little piece is getting that expressive language or that speech or talking piece in place so we said we already said if a kid is not doing words we're going to see imitating a word when you say say dada if he's not doing it then you back up to think, okay, can he do some words when he ex when he knows the word and he expects the word to be there? Is that word just automatically coming out in that verbal routine? If they're not doing that, then you back up to, well, what kind of little words is he using? Is he using some words like uh-oh or some animal sounds, those kinds of things. So those are exclamatory words and play words, play sounds. And this is where lots of... Uh, us as speech therapists start to see children. We get kids who are 18 months old, 24 months old, and even older, and we'll say to mom, how many words does he say? And she'll say, well, he's not really saying very many words. And then, then we start to question them further, and they say, then we realize that they are using some environmental sounds. So they will try to make a car noise. They will growl as they're making an animal noise. They will... Uh, say words like uh-oh when we or wow or some variation of that. And so that's a step back when we're looking at just those emerging first little earlier, easier words. And so that's, that's a point too. And so if you're working with a late talker or if you're the parent of a late talker, look at that and say, is he doing anything like that? Am I hearing those little sounds, little car noises? Am I hearing when he hears the fire truck? Does he try to say, woo, woo, woo? Does he try to imitate that too? When he plays with his cars, do I hear him say, ah, you know, those kinds of things. That's what he's telling me. He's saying, this is the level where I can be successful. Now, some kids, now let me just say this too, frequency really, really matters. So if you're just hearing one or two little examples in these categories, that kind of kid really has an uneven pattern of development. So if you're listening right now, and if you have a child that has just a handful of words, and some of those words are tied to context, like he can say things like the examples I've already given you with the ready, set, go, where he does try to fill in a word in a song, but it's only an example or two. You only have maybe a word or two like that. And then you 
then you keep going back. You keep backing up. Does he have some exclamatory words? And you say, yeah. He says, wow. He tries to say that too or something like that. Or when I say, whoa, you know, if the horsey sound. If we're, he's pretending he's playing with a little horse. You know, sometimes I'll hear him say, whoa, like I modeled to him. Those are only two examples. That's not what we're looking for, guys. We're looking for mastery. And mastery means that a kid can do it all the time, <laughs> that there's no, uh, you know, hit or miss component with this. And a lot of times that's what we're missing. Parents will say, you know, I'll say to them, does your child wave bye-bye? And they'll say, yeah, but he might wave bye-bye three times in an entire week. That is very, very different from a child who is master waving bye-bye. And mastery means that he does it almost every time you ask him to, or he does it almost every time somebody says bye to him. Boy, that little hand goes up. Or he does it every time he's leaving. He turns around to see who's left, and he's automatically waving bye-bye. That's mastery. A kid who's just uh, who needs you to tell him three or four times before he'll do it, that's still emerging. That's still a kid's skill. And that's very, very different. So when we're looking at all these levels, you want to look for lots of examples with that. You want to look for those those little words to be consistent and those little words to you hear them all the time. They are frequent. So if I say to a parent, How many words does he have? and they say oh, seven or eight and then I say, How often does he say them? And mom says, Oh, he's just said uh, three of those he's only said one time, and that was two weeks ago. You really shouldn't even count that word yet <laughs> because it's not mastered. It's not consistent. And so that's what we're looking at through this whole continuum of looking at how children imitate. And so if you're if you're listening to me now and you're thinking, gosh, well, she's talked about things that my kid can do, but he only has one or two of those little sounds. He only has one or two of those other words. He's not mastered those. And so then what you need to do is back up even further. So what comes before those little sounds, those first little animal sounds or environmental noises, that's going to be gestures. So how many gestures does your child use? Is he waving bye-bye? Is he pointing? Is he clapping? Is he, uh, I saw a cute little boy this week, a family I've seen for the first time, and, oh, he just did the cutest little gesture for come on, you know, opened his little fingers. He's looking right at everybody in the room and just gesturing with his little hand, like, come on, come on. You know, that's a great gesture. And so a high five is a gesture. Uh, holding out your little hands, another cute little gesture he did, like, where'd it go or where is it? You know, when you can't find something or when somebody's left, like, where'd they go? That's a little gesture. Any of those little things or, or even a little uh, moving, uh, moving their mouths, like, and they're usually without sound because when they start pairing it with the sound, it becomes a play sound. But any little body movement that they do to indicate, to mean something and to indicate a request to you or to indicate that they want something to happen or expect to happen, that's a gesture. And so, again, when you're looking at those kinds of things, you don't want just one or two examples of that. If I say to a parent, is he doing gestures and he's clapping and he gives a high five, you know, occasionally, that child is not master gestures that's emerging and so guess what we we need to work on that but most of the time we need to back up even further you've got to back up to where a child is super successful and then you expand that developmental level so what do you do for a kid who's not doing very many gestures you back up even more and teach them to imitate actions with objects and so this gets back to the very basic 
first level of teaching imitation. So when you play with the child, does he try to repeat the actions that you do? And so if you knock on the, a door of the barn that you're playing with, or let's just say that you have a toy in a box and you want a cute way to get them to open it or to initiate that, and basically, again, you're just getting them to do something or anything <laughs> to in imitation to indicate that they are engaged with you and participating. That's an action with an object. It's also something that, that the, they have seen you do in the past. And so when we're looking at imitation here, it can be immediate imitation, which is what we're going for with language learning. You know, we want to be able to say to a child, say book and then repeat us. That's immediate imitation. But we also have delayed imitation, which really indicates learning. A child has seen you do a skill before, seen you do something, and here we're talking about actions with objects, and then they try to say that you have worked on stacking blocks and you've shown your child how to stack blocks and he doesn't do it at all when you were doing it. But you look over, you've moved on 30 minutes later, you've given up or you've thought that's enough for today or your phone rang, whatever, you've moved on and then you look back at him a couple minutes later and he's doing it. That's delayed imitation. And again, with those kids, I think, well, they just needed extra time to process that and pull that together <laughs> and practice. And sometimes we have children who... Just that's their learning style. They almost can't do it right away at the beginning. They need that less, they need that time, uh, to, uh, again, to pull that skill together, but less pressure where they can do it more at their own pace. And so delayed imitation is also really, really important, and we need to recognize that. But we can't solely depend on that because we want to get those little systems primed and pumped and ready so that they can imitate it right away and they can do it on command and on request because that's when language learning is most effective. And again, we've all know, we all know that as parents and as therapists that we want to be able to say, uh, say apple, and you give them the apple, or say. Uh, purple, you know, if you happen to be working on colors, not my favorite thing. That was kind of a bad example. But you do want them to be able to do it immediately. But for some children, they need that time. They need that extra space to process it and to send that little message from their little brain to their hand to be able to imitate what you've done even in play with a toy. And so, again, remember, this whole imitation continuum is sequential, and it is pretty predictable with children. There are some children who kind of, and this happens in typically developing toddlers and babies, they're learning lots of these things at the same time, but most of these patterns, if you break it down, are pretty predictable and pretty reliable in looking at kids learn how to imitate actions with objects and then they learn how to imitate body movements and then they learn how to imitate those little body movements become gestures and communicative and then they start to do more mouth movements with sound which would be like we talked about the the play sounds the car noises the animal noises the uh, panting like a dog the fake coughing and fake sneezing which lots of babies love to do between six and nine months those kinds of little things that's where kids start to babble too where they're copying those sounds that you say maybe they've been noisy and they've 
learned how to coo and babble from their beds. You've heard them for months, but they haven't really gotten to the point that they can do that purposefully or intentionally or after you. You know, that's part of this imitation continuum. We want them to be able to produce it as soon as they've heard it. And so, again, that whole continuum there is so important. And so you have to really figure out where a kid is super successful, and that's where you start. It's not where you what you want them to do, because, again, remember what I said about sometimes you can't get there from here. <laughs> there are a whole lot of things that a child has to put in place. Please don't beat yourself up for not knowing this before, because, like I said, lots of therapists don't realize this. We know this. We learn this in school. We're taught how language develops, but sometimes we just don't apply what we already really, really know to be true about speech-language development. And so this approach and this way of this whole strategy called back it up or back up, get to where a child is already super successful and then teach him to do other things at that developmental level. And when he has, gosh, Sometimes it's 10 or 15 examples in one category. Sometimes with some children, I really want them to have 25 different gestures before we move on to something else or or just a slew of play sounds and exclamatory words before we move on to something else. And again, why would you want that? Why would you wait for that? It's because you are looking for mastery. You are looking for lots and lots and lots of examples of those skills. One or two little examples just doesn't get it. It doesn't meet the the level of uh, consistency that we need for a child to really, really, really own that developmental milestone. And so we have to really, really look at that. And so let's talk about this. Let's kind of boil this down again. And for some of you, you're going to be able to take this information right now and move forward with a child. You've heard enough. <laughs> you were able to take it and really say, hey, Okay, she said that we have to get to the basic level of most basic imitative level of where my child is currently functioning. And so you're able to, you know, me walking you through saying, does he imitate words? No. Does he do words that are in verbal routines, you know, highly dependent on context? No. Is he if exclamatory words based? But she said you go to where they're really, really successful. And so gestures, I can think of. 12 gestures that he is doing off the top of my head right now. And then if you started really, really looking at some other things you can introduce in a day or two, you can really have your child doing 20, 25 different little things. And other kinds of examples of gestures would be hand motions in songs. So that when you're singing wheels on the bus, they're doing the wheels on the bus motion with you. When you're singing... Um, you know, any any little song, when you're singing Itsy Bitsy Spider, they're do, trying to do their little spider fingers. Those kinds of things count too. And so a, a parent, you know, just hearing the 15 or 20 minutes that we've already been on the show would say, that that's, that's where he is. He's at about 10 of those. So, boy, my next job is to get him to, you know, 15, 20, 25 of those little little gestures that he's using. And remember, he can't just do it once or twice. You've got to do it consistently. So it may take you three or four days or three or four weeks or three or four months to get there. But just with this little bit of information, you're going to be able to move your child along. And here's the kicker. Until a child is really, really consistently using uh, whatever 
we're talking about, whatever skill we're talking about at a lower developmental level, he's not going to consistently do things at a higher level. He's just not. He has that uneven pattern of development that we talked about or that splinter skill pattern of development. And you do not want to leave kids there. So as a therapist, if you're listening to this too and you're thinking, and I hear this all the time, therapists will email me or I heard you speak and I have your chart from Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers. And, boy, this kid is all over the place. He's got a couple little words, but he he has maybe three or four exclamatory words, but he can't really imitate any any kind of sound with any kind of consistency, and he's got a couple little gestures. For those kids, I say, well, back up even further, get further back. Is he imitating a lot of actions with objects? And they'll say, no, he won't really stay with me during play. And then you know, man, I'm all the way back to that very first level of imitation. And with those kids, you really do have to go all the way back to the beginning to cover all your bases. You cannot leave a child with splinter skills. You cannot leave a child with that scattered pattern of development. Uh, My husband, Johnny, who's the other half of Teach Me to Talk, when I wrote Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers back in 2012, he looked at this chart, and he would hear me teach this and after a course or two, he started saying, Laura, what you're basically telling people to do is fill in the chart. And I thought, that is brilliant. <laughs> that is the very best way to explain this. You've got to fill in the charts. You've got to have actions with objects back at level one. That's got to be completely filled in before we can expect level two, level three, level four, level five. And words, again, are all the way up at level seven. And so you've got to go back and help a kid fill in the chart. And the chart I'm referring to, again, is from that book, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers. And if you if you haven't bought that book or uh, taken that course, it's also in Steps to Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers. That's the best way to really understand this approach and get lots and lots and lots of examples of what you can do to uh, get a child firmly established at each developmental level. We're going to talk about some specific examples now, but let me just go ahead and get a plug in for those of you who are going to need a little bit more help and a little bit more uh, step-by-step direction to implementing this approach. And let me just say to parents, hey, some of you, this show is going to be enough for wait. you're going to be ready to go. You're going to be able to take this information and go, but don't feel badly if you're going to need some more written information or listening to this for longer to really master this because, again, some therapists don't know it. And they've they've been practicing, you know, five or six years, and then they had four years of their bachelor's degree and two years of their master's degree, and they still don't really, haven't really uh, mastered how to use this approach either. So don't beat yourself up if you're going to need some more help. I can certainly do that for you. So let's give some more examples of how we can use this approach. So let's say that we have a child who is, um, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Let's say that you have thought that, and I've already given this example a little bit, but let's, let's, let's dig in here and get some more information here. Let's say that you realize when we've been talking about all of these examples today that you've been working on words with a child and he's not even really paying attention to you. He spends most of his time trying to get away from you. He's not saying things that you try to get him to repeat. You know, you are holding up a cookie and saying, cookie, tell me cookie. You have to say it. You have to say it before I can give it to you. And he is just 
he either becomes totally disinterested and walks away or you can't even get him to sit still long enough to want to do it without really showing him the cookie. He's not processing your words or your cues to get him to sit still and listen. Or let's just say that the other end of this, he falls apart when you tell him that he has to say the word. And then you immediately lose him because he's having a meltdown or a little fit or whatever you want to call it there. Again, those kids aren't developmentally ready to work on talking yet because you've got some other things that you've got to tackle first. The the whole, if they have to see it before they know what you're talking about, there's some pretty big receptive language uh, gaps there. They haven't associated that what you say, the word cookie, is linked to the chocolate thing that you're holding in your hand. And so you've got to go back and back up with those kids and really work to help them understand what those words mean. And how do you do that? Again, this is kind of beyond the the scope of this show, but you've really got to talk to them and say cookie, cookie, you know, over and over and over until they really understand that that word that you've said means cookie. And how do you know that they understand it? They follow some directions with it. You've got a lot of things laying there, and you say, get the cookie. Or they're walking around like they want something, and you say, do you want a cookie? And they run right to the cabinet where you keep the cookies. That's how you know there's always evidence. And you can't assume that a child understands what you're saying until you see it, until you You know it. They're demonstrating that they understand that. So that would be an example of if you try to work on words with a kid and he immediately falls apart because he can't say it and can't get it, and you're trying to figure out where do I back up to. So if you know he's not following any directions with these specific words, you've got to back up and work on receptive language. There are some kids who may be understanding things, but their little sensory systems, their attention spans are so short so that they're not really ready to learn language and it's not really that receptive language component yet. And for some, but for some kids with an attention problem, it would be because they haven't attended well enough or long enough to really be able to link meaning with meanings with words. But some kids are so dysregulated in their little bodies and internally that um, that's what we've got to work on first. We've got to get them settled. We've got to get them calm enough. We've got to get them staying with us enough so that they are are available <laughs> to learn words and learn what words mean. And they have to understand what words mean before they can use those words expressively to talk. And so for some kids, it's going to be working on that attention span so that they, they, they learn to stay with you and they enjoy you. For some kids, they don't understand or they don't feel that internal drive to connect with other people. So they don't respond to other people. And so we're trying to get them to say cookie when we should really be backing up and doing things that are a lot more fun for them with a lot less pressure, like social games. So like ride a little horsey or like games like chase where we run with them and then we teach them that it's fun to be caught. And we tickle them and hug them and love on them. And that's when they're looking at us. That's when their attention is best with us. That's when they're engaged with us. And again, if a kid isn't, 
if he's not staying with us and he's not regulated enough to want to be with us to sit down for more than a couple of minutes at a time, they're not developmentally ready to learn language yet. They're on the go. They're too busy. Their little bodies aren't developmentally ready to learn yet. And so we have to do all of our social games and all of our techniques to work on that social engagement piece and that attention piece, that that staying power piece, so that they do want to stay with you. And that's where we would back up with those kids. We wouldn't even think about teaching them to say a word yet because we've got to get them at that developmental level where they want to be with us and where they realize that they that they they show those consistent social responses. They look when we're calling their names because they realize how fun it is to be connected to somebody. They respond when you start to sing a song. They're right there with you. And those kids are telling you, hey, this is where I can be successful. This is the level where you need to be working with me. And, and you know, we're not really talking about a lot of that today. We're really focused on the expressive piece of this. But for those kids, you've got to back up to that social engagement piece. Now, if you need some help with that and if this sounds really kind of out there for you. Uh, my therapy manual, Teach Me to Play With You, walks you through that entire process where you learn those little games. You learn what how what it's like to teach a child to do his part. And so with all of those little routines, you basically are teaching a child. Sorry about that. You basically are teaching a child this is what how you need to participate in this game. This is your uh, response here. And so you're teaching a child during patty cake to pat his little hands. You're teaching him during a game like so big to lift his hands up. You're teaching him uh, with in a, at a communicative gesture level, when you hold out your hand, he smacks it back because that's what we do for give me five. And so, again, those kinds of kids who aren't doing a lot of that really, really need to work on establishing that attention piece to you and that consistent social response piece to you long before we teach them to say words. Now, the good news is a lot of kids, when we get that social piece in place, the language really does take off because they like those little games and those little songs so much, and that's their learning strength, and that's so appealing to them that you will be able to bump some of those kids through straight through to verbal routines because you're playing a game like row, row your boat with them. And they like sitting on your lap and holding your hands. And so, and then their attention gets good enough. You know, after you've played that dozens and dozens of times, they start to pop out some of the words that come with that. Or let's say you're playing a game like Ring Around the Rosies and you've played it a lot and they like holding your hands. They like walking in the circle. They're looking at you. They're laughing. They're having a great time. They like falling down at the end. And so you'll be able to play and play and play this with them and then you'll be able to say, you know, we all fall and they fill in the word down. You know, so some kids, you get the social piece in place, and then they rapidly move through these other steps to verbal routines. And so, again, they wouldn't get there had you not backed up and played lots of little games with them and really taught them how to enjoy being with you and that it's fun to stay with you and that and, and you're expanding their attention spans in that whole process, too. So you are really meeting them where they are. And I say that phrase a lot in Building Verbal Limitation and Toddlers in that book and in that course. And I've written a lot about that. If you've not read a lot of 
articles at uh, teachmetotalk.com, which is my website. That's something you should do is search the phrase, meet them where they are or meet them at their developmental level because you'll get so much good information uh, from those articles alone with looking at uh, the value and how important this is. And again, that's what we're talking about today with not starting at the end result or at the end goal, but really, really taking what a child can currently do and making sure that he's mastered that skill. And that means that you see that skill consistently and frequently. And as I've said in uh, my book, Let's Talk About Talking, Children have to own the skill, which is another you know, just everyday way of saying mastery there. They have to really own it. Those skills have to be strong and stable before we can move on to another skill. So let's take some other examples. Let's say, and I think I've already used this example, but let's do it again. You know your child isn't imitating words. He's actually not saying very much at all. So you're going to back him up to your little point where he can be successful, and you say, well, you know, he does wave bye-bye. He does clap when he hears somebody else clapping. Sometimes he tries to shake his head no. Sometimes he lifts his arms up to be lifted up. For a kid like that, I would say gestures. That's where you need to be working. Let's look at what other gestures you can teach him. Let's look at what other big body Movement. So for that kind of kid, I'm just going to be looking for doing things all day long so that he can imitate me. So I might take giant steps all the way to the kitchen as we're going to go get his sippy cup or his snack or his breakfast or whatever. That would be a way of getting him to imitate a big body movement, which is what comes before gestures. As we get to the refrigerator door, I'm going to knock on the refrigerator door and say, open, and if he's ready to learn signs, if he's done some other gestures with me, I'm going to model the sign open. So look at that. Even before you've gotten his drink, you've gotten him or helped him imitate three different body movements before you've even gotten what he really, really wanted. And that's what we do, what I said before about priming the pump. Or, you know, get, getting that ready, getting that little system ready to talk is teaching him how to imitate at that level where he can be successful. And so then you give him the sippy cup and you, you bump him up from there. You see it, what else what else he can do with the sippy cup. You might, um, you know, have him imitate some things with that. If, let's say, let's carry this example on. Let's say, let's say that this child, um, you're trying to see if he's going to bump up to that next level. So you do a little sound effect while you're drinking with the cup. You do or after he's had his little drink. That's how you kind of bump him up to that next level with vocalizations of play with using those play sounds and play skills. So think about that. Think about what you can do in every single routine so that you are helping a child learn how to imitate more and more and more and more. And again, if you get to a level where a kid can't do it, you know, boy, I've got to back him down. I've got to get back down here so that we are just back at this imitating a lot more body movements. What can I do? What are some things I can do? Let's do the same thing with the bathtub routine. Let's say that you're going into the, uh, he's in the bathtub. Splashing water is a bathtub routine. 
throwing a toy in the water. That's something he can imitate in action with an object. Uh, taking his one of his little toys in the bathtub and walking it up the wall. That's something he can do. Pat, putting one of the toys on the side of the bathtub and pretending like it's asleep and you know, patting it right there and then doing shh, you know, putting your finger to your lips and making that sound. Those would all be examples of really gestures, actions with objects, and early play sounds that you can do. So think about how can I put two or three new little things in every routine that I do with my child today. When we're reading books, what are some things I can do? Well, if there's the picture of a baby, I can lean down and pretend like I'm kissing the baby. I can tickle the baby in the picture. I can pat the baby in the picture. I can, you know, just any little thing. I can I can put the book on my head. I'll see if he can put the book on his head like me. Any little action like that, any little gesture like that that you can teach your child to do. And while you're doing it, if someone is saying, what in the world are you doing? If his grandmother comes in the room and <laughs> she's your mother-in-law, and she's saying, how is this teaching him to talk? You say, imitation is how children learn everything. The reason he won't imitate words is because he won't imitate actions yet. I'm teaching him how to imitate actions. And that's how you connect it. And that's how you connect it to yourself, too. If you're thinking, you know, if you're a, a let's turn this example around. If you're a dad listening to this show <laughs> and the mother of your child is a little bit resistant, to realizing that there's a developmental problem. And she's in some denial about where your child is functioning. And you are just listening to the show to get every drop of information and every good idea that you can find so that you can help your child. And she understands a little bit, but she's still kind of in that, eh, I'm not so sure about all this. Why don't we just let him grow up and see what happens? And you're doing everything you can to try to help her understand how important this is. This is a good good way to talk about it and a good way to explain it. We learn every single thing we do our whole lives by imitating, and that's the skill that he's missing. So we've got to teach him how to imitate the things that come before words. And so I want you to help me. As you're playing with him today, I want you to do some things as you all are playing together, and you wait for him to imitate. And if he doesn't do the action that you've done, I want you to take his little hands and help him do it. And then I want you to praise him for doing that. And then I want you to repeat that same action and see if he'll do it again. And listen, guys, start with things that are real obvious. Start with things like throwing balls. Start with things like pushing cars. Start with things even like running. I gave you that example before about uh, taking giant steps to the kitchen or jumping you know, running from one side of the room to the other. And, again, it's not that a kid can do that on its own, on his own. You are looking for that imitation piece. Can he do it after me? Can he copy me? Because that's what we're really, really, really looking for. So we've talked a lot about actions with objects and gestures. Let's bump it up and talk a little bit more about those higher levels vocalizations in play and exclamatory words. I've given you some examples, but let me just run down this list in, uh, that's in building verbal imitation and toddlers. So panting like a dog, doing a squeal or a scream in a song, grunting, let's say that you, a ball has rolled under the couch and you want to get it out. So you're going to get down, and instead of just reaching under there and grabbing the ball, you should make a big deal about it. You should get down there and say, oh, it's stuck, it's stuck. Uh, uh, uh. 
I've got to get it. And you want your child, the goal here is for your child to get down and imitate that sound with you and really get into it and really have fun with it. And as I tell parents, every time I meet with parents, you have got to exaggerate this stuff, even your actions, and certainly with your facial expressions, but certainly with your voice. There's something about talking that is so hard for your child that he's not picking it up in the normal way. So you know you have to bump it up even more to make this more relevant and more so that he'll want to do it. So you have to get in his on his radar. <laughs> you have to increase increase the likelihood that he will pay attention and want to do what you're doing. And we do that by exaggerating and being really, really animated. So that example I just gave you about reaching down to get the ball that's stuck under the couch. You know, you can't just say, oh, I got it. You know, you've got to really make a big deal about that. And as I tell parents, if you would not be embarrassed for someone to see you do it, if you do not feel like you are making a fool out of yourself, then you're probably not doing it big enough. And so ratchet that up a notch. And if you've listened to the show before, I don't know if I've said that in a long time, but it's something I used to say a lot. You know, that's really increasing your own heightened affect, increasing the facial expressions you use, seeing how happy and excited you sound. You know, again, you're kind of going for over the top here. We're talking about little kids who don't imitate words and who aren't always copying even actions. So you've got to make yourself the most exciting thing in the in the room so that you are just irresistible for them to want to pay attention to. And so as you're doing these little vocalizations in play, you've got to really, really go for it. So fake coughing and sneezing, those are really fun things to do that, again, most typical babies just love doing that. You know, from six months old to about a year. That's just their favorite little trick to do. Any kind of little animal sound that you can do. Any kind of little blowing uh, raspberries that you can do. Do you know what I mean by that? The little kind of that motor sound. Anything like that that you can do. Fake snoring. You know, pretend like you're asleep and see if they'll they'll do that little sound with you and then make a big deal about waking up. You know, I call that playing the night-night game. And if you need some instructions for that, that's in uh, Teach Me to Play With You. And so then you move on to those, that next level would be those words that we talked about like uh-oh and yay and wow and wee and, you know, pow, pow, pow as you're popping bubbles or knocking blocks down or punching the pillow. Even words like, you know, oh, man, and oh, no. Think about any kind of word that you would use that would carry emotion. So as you're eating a snack, things like mm, 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 or even words like yummy or, you know, oh, that's so good. Anything that you're really, really exaggerating right there. Boo and peekaboo is an exclamatory word. So those are some examples of those kinds of words. Even little noises like boom or crash or we already talked about little car noises that kids make. Those are important, and those are easier, earlier vocalizations, but they're still made up of the same consonants and vowels that kids need to uh, use to say words. So you're giving all that pre-linguistic experience when you're getting a kid to do that. And then we've already talked about that next level, which is verbal routines. So can a kid complete a, a word in a book? So let's say Brown Bear is his favorite book, and you're reading, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, what do you see? And that might be a word that you pause with, and so you're going to read that like, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, what do you? And then do the big pregnant pause there. 
and see if he'll fill in C. Most kids do words at the at the end rather than the beginning. That's a concept called backward chaining. So you start with words there at the end. That's why kids will say go in ready, set, go instead of ready, or three in one, two, three instead of one. They learn from the end. So as you're reading your little books, you pause to, to see if a kid will fill in the word there, and you see how many how many things you can get that going with. And you can make up your own little verbal routines. You know, I have a lot of little uh, little routines that I just do with kids. They're in Teach Me Shot and the Therapy Manual. There are a ton of those spelled out for you. Same thing in Building Verbal Imitation and Toddlers in that book. And this is at level six in that Building Verbal Imitation and Toddlers book and course. But lots of examples of things that you can do. A verbal routine that I do all the time with kids because I keep puzzle pieces and any kind of toy that has lots of small pieces, I keep them in Ziploc bags. So the little routine where we unzip the bag and say zip, and so many of my little friends will start saying zip and that kind of thing when they're zipping their jackets in the winter and, you know, when they see their parents zip their jackets or when even, you know, at school, at preschool, when everybody's sitting on their coats at the end of the day, I had a mom tell me that her little boy, one of his favorite things to do was stand and wait till somebody's trying to zip their jacket and he's saying zip. And, you know, he didn't say it clearly. You had to really know what he was trying to say before you could say, oh, that, but he was doing it. And that's a verbal routine. And so you want to see how many of those things that you can get going uh, during the day. And again, we know that we're always, always, always going to have a lot more success when we start looking at where a kid is already successful, what he's already really doing, teach him how to do more examples of those things before we move on to that next developmental level. And again, if this is your very first introduction to me and your very first introduction to this kind of approach and you're thinking, I'm still not knowing what to do. She gave me some examples, but boy, I need some more specific instruction. You can get that. Uh, with building verbal limitation in toddlers. There's also a good bit about that, even as you're looking at the information uh, on that book, with that book or about that book, at teachmetotalk.com. So just go to my website there, type in imitation, and you're going to get lots and lots and lots of posts and articles so that you can read those ideas there. There's also some older therapy tips of the week about this. Uh, look back in the archives, go to teachmetotalk.com, look for the tab that says videos, and then scroll through there or even search uh, potato heads because I took the potato head toy and did a whole series of how you use this approach with beginning with actions with objects all the way through functional words, how, how those skills or each of those little levels looks in play. And so take a look at that Mr. Potato Head video. It's a cute one, and it will really teach you how to assess where a child is in play with what he's doing and what he's saying. And then you'll know where to work. You'll know where to start with those kinds of things. All right, so we are just going to wrap up a few minutes early with the show, but I hope that I've given you some good ideas with what to do when a child is not imitating words consistently and frequently. You can't start with words. What do you have to do? Let's all say it together. Back up. Back up, back up, back up. It's always great advice. All right, that's all for today. I hope you'll join me next time. I'm Laura Mines, pediatric speech language pathologist, and this is the Teach Me to Talk to Podcast. Have a great day.